for me with the rest of the board and the, the elders and the deacons, you know. He was just my, my advocate, my mentor. Uh, just such an encourager to me. And one of the things that John would do is every year on the 4th of July, he would invite me and my family and some other families uh, out to his dairy farm. And we'd get there early in the morning. Now, you know, we were going to have a, a nice dinner, but he did have ulterior motives. Because this was the day to bring in the hay. <laughs> yeah, he had all he had acres and acres of hay, and so what we would do is uh, we would work all day long putting up the hay. And this is the old days, people, all right, when you had just the regular hay bales, you know, those ones that weighed about 50 pounds, not those great big round ones they do now that you just, you know, stick with the tractor and, you know, put it on there. So, you know, but I was young and macho, and so, you know, I wanted to show how strong I was, and we get out there and, you know, I'd grab on those hay bales and just toss it up on the hay wagon. Yeah, that's about the first hour. <laughs> Second hour, you know, out there, man, towards the end of the, of the afternoon, I can't even, my arms are like, you know, rubber bands, all right? And so I can pick it up and then it's the old knee thing, all right, to get it up on the, have you guys been, did you ever do that, guys? You remember? Yeah, all right, bucking bales like that. We would do that all day long until the hay was in and, and the conveyor belt, we put it up in the, in the hay barn. And then it was time to eat. Oh man, Sharon, his wife, and the rest of the ladies, man, they would put on a spread. Man, we had chicken, we had ham, we had roast beef. I mean, we had green beans, corn. There was cherry cobbler, peach cobbler, pumpkin pie. I mean, it was a spread. And then after we had eaten our full, it was time to bring out the bottle rockets and the fireworks. And oh man, we just had a great, a great time. Great time. Just bonding with each other. Developing a closeness that had its beginnings in our commitment to the Lord. And I really think that it was that closeness, that fellowship that we had established that helped John to find the courage To recover and to go on several years later when he was involved in a very tragic uh, farm accident. He actually got his hand caught in a power takeoff and it ripped his arm right out of his shoulder. And he lost his right arm. Which meant he could no longer be a dairy farmer. He had to come up with something else to do. And that kind of a transition is difficult. But John found strength in the fellowship and the encouragement of the men in the church and, and, and went on to do something else very successfully. But that fellowship sustained him through those very difficult times of recovery. When I served as the preaching minister in Broadwell, Illinois, when I was going to graduate school, uh, you know, it was a small church. We ran about 104, 105, and they didn't have enough money, you know, to hire both a youth minister and a preaching minister. So I wore both hats. 
So I was the preaching minister and I was also the youth minister. And this one particular uh, year, a bunch of the, the older high school kids and some of the young deacons decided what we should do for our younger youth group is we should put on a haunted house. All right, now that's before those things were anathema, all right, you know. It was okay to do them back then. So, sure enough, the Ramsey sisters had this old abandoned house right next to I-55, and they gave us permission to use that old abandoned house. And so, me and the older high school kids and some of the younger deacons and an elder, man, we went through that thing and we fixed it up. And so, you know, on a Friday night, we had all the kids in the youth group go through, and man, we just scared the snot out of them, you know. It was great. I I think we had more fun than they did. But the word got out in the community about this fun house that we did. And uh, we actually had a a K-8 through grade school in our town. And the principal heard about it because all the kids were talking about what a great time they had. The principal actually called me and he said, hey, do you think you'd put that on again just for the community next weekend? I said, well, sure. Yeah, we'd do that. And so we did. We put on our fun house again and had all the kids in the community come through. And, and uh, you know, we scared them and they loved it and we loved it. And, and we were getting ready to shut down. When one of the deacons said, hey, let's go stand out by the freeway in our costumes. <laughs> Bad idea. I said, yeah, right. And the first car that will come along will be a cop. And they laughed and said, yeah, right. So they all went in their costumes and were standing by the freeway looking like refugees from the walking dead. And sure enough... The very first car to come along was an Illinois state policeman, all right? And he slams on his brakes. And then all my guys start running. And I'm really afraid now because they're looking real guilty. Like maybe they, and I'm afraid they're going to get shot, you know. So, so I'm kind of pulling all my stuff off, trying to look respectable, you know. And I'm walking towards the policeman, and I'm thinking, what in the world can I say that's got not going to put me in jail? (laughs) And he says, luckily, he says, uh, "Are you getting these guys out of here?" Uh, yes, sir. I'm getting these guys out of here. And he says, I don't want anybody hurt. You make sure. Yes, sir. I will make sure nobody gets hurt. And so, I, you know, I go back. And you know where those guys were? They had run to some deacon's house and they were hiding. They pulled the curtains and they were watching me laughing their heads off because they left me holding the bag. You know, every once in a while I go back to Broadwell visit some of those people and any guy that participated in that that's the first thing they bring up ah do you remember halloween when we left you holding the bag ah that was so funny we were trying to decide whether we'd bail you out or not if you ended up in prison (laughs) yeah thanks guys man but there was a joy in that experience when i was in sandpoint idaho had the privilege of baptizing Bud McConaughey. Bud had been kind of a hippie in the 60s. And I don't know if you know it, but I had been kind of a hippie in the 60s. I still had long hair then, you know, you have to use your imagination. 
And uh, Bud and I just, we just hit it off. Because we had so much in common with one another. And uh, I, I baptized Bud McConaughey. And what we decided to do was uh, he worked for the Forest Service. And he ended up having Mondays off. And as a preacher, I had Mondays off. And my wife worked on Mondays. And so I was home alone. And so what we would do is every Monday, he would come over to my house. And uh, we would eat a cardboard pizza. Uh, you know those cheap Totinos, 99 cent? All right, we call them cardboard pizzas. That's about what they taste like, you know. But we would eat a cardboard pizza, we would play chess, and we would talk theology until we had talked ourselves, you know, dry, and then we'd put in some cheesy kung fu movie, and we would watch that until my kids came home. And uh, Bud went on... To be one of the great leaders, one of the went on to be an elder in the church there at Sandpoint. And looking back on it, we would talk about how significant those Monday meetings were with us. Those times that man, we just opened up the Bible and we talked deep theology. Paul found great joy in people, in the fellowship. And the community they shared together. That's why he wrote, I thank my God every time I remember you. And I always pray with, what? Joy. Yeah, I always pray with joy. His memories of the interactions that he shared with his people always brought him joy. And you know what? I get that. I get that. Do you get that? When you think of the the churches you've been a part of, maybe your small groups, your Sunday school class, does that bring you joy when you think of back on those? I really hope it does. Whenever I think of the churches that I served in, I think of the deep friendships that I made with those people. It just brings a smile to my face. And it truly is my prayer that you have those same kind of memories. And they bring you that joy that only comes from sharing in Christ. As the head of the psychology and counseling department here at at Ozark, one of the classes that I teach every year is developmental psychology. And developmental psychology is the study of the development of the human personality from the womb to the tomb. (laughs) That's what I call it. And there are all these characteristics, personality uh, changes that will take place developmentally, naturally in every human being from birth until death. And one of those things that developmental psychology has observed is a phenomenon called the socio-emotional selectivity theory. That's a mouthful, isn't it? (laughs) The socio-emotional selectivity theory. And this theory states that when you become older, you become more selective about your social networks. And the reason is because we place a very high value on emotional satisfaction or joy, 
We would rather spend more time with the few individuals with whom we have a very rewarding relationship rather than have lots of shallow relationships. So this theory states that older adults deliberately withdraw from social contact from individuals who are just peripheral to their life. But what they do is those people that they have a deep relationship with, they spend more time with them, with those close friends and family members. So what that means is if you're in the 55 to 85 year you know, age group, You don't need lots of friends. In fact, our circle of friends actually gets smaller with age. But it's not because all of our friends are dying off. (laughs) It's because instead, we choose to find our joy in the depth of a few quality relationships. And we have through the years cultivated what I call 3 a.m. friendships. Do you know what a 3 a.m. friend is? It's that guy, it's that gal, that if you would have a crisis at 3 a.m. in the morning, you wouldn't hesitate to pick up your phone and call them. And you know that you would want them to do the same for you. That's a 3 a.m. Friendship. Well, I believe there's no better place to develop quality friendships like that than in the body of Christ. You've heard it said that blood is thicker than water. And I think that's probably true unless it's baptismal water. I mean, how many of you would say, That you probably have friendships in the church that are deeper and more meaningful than even blood relatives, family. Show of hands? Yeah. Blood's thicker than water unless it's baptismal water. I've had the privilege of traveling and teaching in 23 different countries of the world through my work with OCC and and CIY when I worked there. And I can testify that God's people are the same everywhere. I mean, there's just this instant connection, this bonding that takes place because of our commitment to Jesus Christ, and it supersedes all language and cultural barriers. I remember when I was in Damo, India, I was teaching with Ajay Law at his, uh, his compound there. We were, I was uh, teaching the older adults because we were getting ready to have a big CIY youth conference there. And after one of my teaching sessions, uh, one of the leaders came up to me and he asked to see my Bible. And it, and it, was, it was this one here. I don't know if you can tell, but this baby has been taped and retaped and glued and re-glued a hundred thousand times, you know. I've got notes and underlines things in here. He asked to see it. I gave it to him and he looks at it and and he goes oh this is very good and I was a little curious he gives it back to me I said what do you mean very good and he says oh in India we have the saying dirty Bible clean heart (laughs) clean Bible dirty heart (laughs) 
And I thought immediately, man, that's a brother. That's someone I can connect with. I wonder if he likes cardboard pizza and plays chess. (laughs) This wonderful fellowship, this community, this joy that comes from sharing in Christ... I'm afraid, people, we sometimes take it for granted. Because you know what? It hasn't always been that way. It was actually a very new thing in Paul's day. In the first Christian century, the world was filled with barriers. There were barriers of race, of wealth, of education, and of culture. I mean, the Romans gloried in the strength of their armies and their law. But the Greek looked down on the Roman as an upstart. You know, just a member of the nouveau rich. The Greek despised Roman culture. Saw it as a cheap imitation of Greek culture. The Greeks kind of looked at the Romans the way Europeans look at Americans. You know, uh, crude, ignorant, too much money for their own good. There was a barrier between the free and the slave. And all of these groups in society, they were bound together by the chains of Roman rule. Roman, Greek, Jew, soldier, priest, slave, plebeian. But there was no such thing as a brotherhood. As a fellowship that joined them. Fellowship. Was found first. And only. Among Christians. Christians were one. They had one Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father over all. They knew one salvation. And all of the barriers that were found in the empire were still found there within the Christian church. But the Christians simply chose to overlook them. They met together not as antagonists, but as brothers and sisters who had been called out of darkness and into a marvelous light. By their Savior, Jesus Christ. They loved one another. And the world looked on and it marveled. One of the great pagan writers exclaimed, Behold how these Christians love one another. People, wouldn't it be great... If that could be said in our day. That the world would look at us. And they would say behold. How these Christians love one another. Well there is a great joy. That's found in fellowship. But joy can also be hindered. When there are relational problems in the body. I mean, I could have easily made my entire sermon just a collection of stories, just recounting to you all the joy that the people in my church have been been to me because of the community, the fellowship. But the reality is that not everyone finds joy in their interactions with other people. 
Warren Wiersbe shares this story about his daughter uh, in his uh, commentary on Philippians, Be Joyful. And it seems that one day his daughter got off the school bus as it stopped in front of their house and she made a beeline right to the front door. She opens the front door. She slams it behind her. She marches defiantly up the stairs into her room and she slams the door to her room. And all the time she's doing this, she's muttering under her breath, people, 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 people. So... You know, being a loving father, he goes to her door and he knocks gently and he says, Honey, may I come in? She says, No. So he tries again, but she says it even more belligerently, No. So he says, Well, honey, why can't I come in? Her answer was, Because you're a people. (laughs) Can you appreciate that? People can bring you joy or they can steal your joy in the church. To dwell with the saints above, saints we love, oh, that'll be grace and glory. But to live below with the saints we know, eh, that's a different story. (laughs) Philippians chapter 4 Verses 1 through 3. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, Help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Yodia and Syntyche. Both of them were significant workers in the church. But something happened To mess up their relationship. And now it was all claws out. (laughs) And this wasn't just some private feud. Because you know. One of them got the blue ribbon at the fair for her blueberry pie. And the other one didn't. You know. No this was so bad. It was actually affecting the harmony. The effectiveness. And the joy of the Philippian congregation. See, their disagreement didn't involve bad doctrine or sin. Otherwise, Paul would have addressed that. But it was some kind of a relational, personal issue between these two ladies. And I don't know what the problem was. Nobody does. But what I do know is that before this, these two ladies were doing a great work for the church. Paul says, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. The Greek word that's used there that's translated contend, it means to fight or to work on the side of, to cooperate vigorously, to make a hard effort in the cause of, in support of. See, that is significant work. But the sad thing is, now, 
2,000 years later. The only thing we know about these two ladies is that they couldn't get along. And that the stink was so bad, the Apostle Paul has to actually address the issue in a public letter so that 2,000 years removed from the situation, we don't know all of the good things that these ladies had done previously in their contending with Paul for the gospel. All we know now is the bad. All of us at some point in our lives have probably lost our joy because of people. What they are and what they say and what they do. And can we be honest? No doubt we ourselves at some time, some point, have contributed to making somebody else unhappy. Goes both ways, doesn't it? But we have to live and work with people. We can't isolate ourselves and still live to the glory of Christ. Because we are to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. But sometimes the light grows dim and the salt becomes bitter because of other people. So how do we tip the scales in favor of joy and and find joy in our relationships instead of frustration, aggravation, irritation and contention? I guess the question I have to ask, I'm just going to get real personal here. What about your life? Because you may have contributed to your church in a number of very positive ways for a lot of years. But how about the choices that you're making now in your twilight years of your life? You know, are you using your wisdom and your experience to invest in young, upcoming leaders, men and women who need your insight and experience? Are you choosing to do that? Are you or are you starting to be known as the old grump who just complains about how loud the drums are and the music, they sing it off the wall and never use a hymn book like God intended anymore. Or, ouch. Steve Thomas and I were talking, this is a long while back, and we were kind of bemoaning the state of youth ministry and youth ministers. And Steve just started chuckling. And I said, Steve, what is it? And he says, remember the Muppet show? I said, yeah. He says, remember they had the theater and there was two old grumps sitting up in the balcony, you know, calling down at him. I says, yeah. I says, that's what we've become. <laughs> oh, and he was so right. I had to repent. I needed to find my joy again instead of being the old grump. Well, there is a, a real fellowship, a joy that's found in fellowship with one another. But last of all, I want you to understand that there is also a joy that is found in community with God. Just like a true friend who wants only the best for you, so it is with God. God only wants what is best for you. He wants you to be a complete, mature, and a holy Christian. But here's the thing. 
God doesn't make you into a mature Christian overnight. It is a process. But the good news is, it is a guaranteed successful process. Because Paul wrote Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you is going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I like to couple that verse with Ephesians 3.20, which says, now to him who is able to do what? Immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine according to that power that is at work within us. Now, if you're like me, you've probably been frustrated with your own spiritual growth, your own spiritual maturity from time to time. And you wish that God could just microwave your spirituality. Don't you wish that? You know, I get my oatmeal out in the morning and I add my, you know, my water to it. And I stick it in the microwave and in 40 seconds I've got hot oatmeal. Man, I love that. 40 seconds. I wish God could 40 second my spirituality. And I could be mature and patient and loving and kind. But that's not the way it works. God takes joy through the process. My good friend Steve Thomas wrote this little piece of prose. And it's called, If I Could Give You a Gift. I'm going to close with this. It goes like this. If I could give you a gift, I would give you what you already have. Jesus. But I would give it so that you would have more of him, more believably in your life. Which is a difficult thing to do. But the way I would do it would be to give you a few words that I think Jesus would say to you. He would call you by your name. And he wouldn't start talking until you looked him straight in the eyes. And you were toe to toe, knee to knee, eyeball to eyeball with Jesus. And then this is what he would say. He would say, I like you. I'm not stuck with you. I chose you. Before I ever made this planet and spun it into orbit, I had you in mind. I picked you. I think you count. And I have plans for you that you can't even begin to imagine or believe. You are my workmanship. You are my work of art, my poem, my sculpture. But you need to understand, I'm not finished with you. Because I don't make instant masterpieces. I go a little at a time. And that's how really beautiful masterpieces are done. Now sometimes I know that you wish I would hurry up and finish. But don't forget. I get my pleasure from the process. Not just the finished product. And please don't misunderstand this. When I shape and fashion you. When I bend and shape you to make the changes that I want. Don't forget that I'm doing this because I love you. I want your life to show the beauty 
of my craftsmanship. Now, sometimes when I fashion you, it's going to hurt. Especially when you resist my hand. But sometimes even you cooperate, it will hurt. Some changes are just painful. And when I'm working one of those painful changes, especially then, don't forget that it's me. It's not chance that's at work in your life. You can't trust chance when it hurts. But you can trust me. I know just how far to go, just exactly how much pressure and stress that you can take. And please trust me, I'm never going to go past that point. Now sometimes you'll think I have. Trust me, I won't. And don't be discouraged by the fact that this stress point is different for you than for someone else. I know you. I made you. And because of that, I know where I can do my most profound work in you. I don't love you less or someone else more because I'm not doing the same thing in both of your lives. But believe this. The masterpiece that I'm shaping in you is already wonderful beyond belief. And the finished work is absolutely beyond your ability to conceive and will be beautiful beyond words. Because when I'm finished, you will look like me. People, doesn't that bring joy to your heart? 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. There's a commercial for Olive Garden, and it says, When you're here... Your family. (laughs) I laugh at that. Because I've eaten at Olive Garden before. And I've never felt like I was part of a big Italian family when I've eaten my unlimited salad, pasta, and breadsticks. The only thing I felt is that the waiter wanted a big tip. But you know what? That slogan says a lot about our desire to want to be a part of people, doesn't it? That commercial saying that we think we'll have a better chance of finding joy and community at a casual dining establishment than in our own neighborhoods. And I think that that is a wide open door of opportunity for the church. Because within the church, we find genuine fellowship, community, and joy. So people, let's be the church. Let's be a community who weeps with those who weep and rejoices with those who rejoice. And let God be praised. Thank you.